Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Are there crossroads between two completely different art forms? After you listen to my discussion with painter Evan Harrington, I think that you'll find there certainly is. We discover many similarities between our creative approaches, even though our work is incredibly different. We also discuss Evan's interest in aviation, the benefits to following format earlier in your career, and his latest exhibition at the Silverman Gallery. That's right. You can see Evan's beautiful paintings in person from October 30th through November 28th. Stop by the Silverman Gallery in Hong Kong, PA, just outside of Doylestown. And if you'd like to say hello, he'll even be there in person on Saturday, October 30th and Sunday, November 7th. Check the show notes for more details. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So welcome to the show, Evan. I'm excited to talk with you. Oh, thanks, John. It's, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to speaking with you. Is there a defining moment or group of moments that led you to become an artist or to pursue art? Yeah, it, it was actually, the decision was pretty simple. I grew up with my dad being an artist, and he was a professional illustrator for 30 years. So I kind of grew up with him working in a studio. So between watching him paint and enjoying reading through art books, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. <laughs> Do you have an early memory of seeing him paint? or How young were you, or was this just a part of your life so much that you can't even separate that out? Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty much like uh, like any other memory of it. when you were a baby. It's uh, you don't remember being born. You just kind of just start little tidbits. And that's <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> you always had an interest in it. Did you always know that you wanted to pursue this professionally as well? I did. Um, I don't think kids really realize the monetary side of things. <laughs> but I just figured that this would be a great way to spend uh, the majority of my time doing so. It kind of just naturally unfolded, obviously, because my dad was in it professionally. And he still is. He's been that, that kind of guide for making, just teach me how to make a living at it. But that's kind of the whole, whole nother angle. Really, it was just, this is what I want to spend my time doing. So yeah, I'd imagine having your father there probably helped some of that intimidation that would be there from the monetary side, just because you have someone in your life, obviously your dad, it's someone very close to you who has been able to find a way to do right, it. Right. In some way, it probably seemed like something that was possible to grasp as difficult as it would be. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And uh, it's it's funny because my, my brother decided a much more, I would say, practical field and uh, to go into. And uh, the irony is that with my family, the practical field was the, the harder field to sell to my parents. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's kind of a I had a very different angle for sure than most uh, most kids growing up. Now you do oil painting, and that's uh, what your 
father does as well. And then the style, the terminology, you'll have to correct and inform me on here, but it's impressionist style. Can you talk a little bit about what is the approach that you take and what are the technical terms to the uh, the style and technique that you use? Yeah, it, it varies. I, th- I would say it's it's as complicated as classifying a piece of music. You know, it could, if you have a country western song, if you if you're a country western musician, you would think you know that that is such like a generic term. So it's it really is is tough to pin down my work because a lot of times it is very impressionistic. Impressionistic being really you're you're capturing the visual using. It tends to be more expressionistic brushstrokes, but the image is fairly representational. You can actually tell what you're looking at. So I, I do dabble in that, but sometimes my work is more um, layered, a lot more glazing, a lot more polished. It, it, it depends on the image. So I'm with a gallery now that kind of labels their artists as impressionistic. And I, I think I can fit into that category, but I always uh, kind of travel through different genres. So. <laughs> What does that process look like for you? So to kind of bring the writing analogy in, and again, this is just because this is what I'm used to understanding. You know, we talk about how there's planners and pantsers and planners is kind of self-explanatory, but pantsers is the idea of like flying by the seat of your pants, kind of making uh-huh. things up as as you go. I kind of find myself a blend of both of these things, but is there a certain approach that you lean towards when you create something? When I was first starting off, uh, my process was incredibly regimented and predictable, and I had to do, lay things out in a painting a certain way or paint certain things in order for me to feel a sense of accomplishment or really get the results that I wanted. But kind of as time goes on and you kind of become bored with predictable processes, especially in, when you're creating artwork, the desire is to have like to offer something new to the audience. So I find that kind of the better I get, the the more that I can kind of lose some of my checklist items in a painting and just allow really the painting to kind of take on its own form. And and really that ends up being sometimes a, a lot less time moving paint around with the paintbrush and more just kind of looking at what I already have down and kind of making, making more decisions. Is a lot of that at the beginning, you kind of learning almost the language, the techniques. Again, I think about that with writing. It's like, okay, well, you learn the traditional approach to it. So you understand the core of what works and then you start to play around with it. Is there something similar going on for painting? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's actually, I would say it's very similar. I mean, I remember in in high school, like writing essays and you had the essay format and you kind of follow that the core processes that kind of they kind of automatically create good results because it gives you a format to create a complete thought. And that's how I started. So I would definitely say that is like learning techniques. And also when you follow a format or a process, it allows you to spend more time kind of developing your own eye because you know that you're going to have certain results if you do things a certain way. So you can kind of start to create your own voice. And then slowly, it's like muscle memory, you just kind of you don't even worry about any of that stuff. And you're really just focused on your results. And so as you start to play around with things, is it a constant tweaking? Or do you find years or eras of your life where you're like, Oh, I'm really focused in this sort of direction, and then I'll change it one day? Or how does that process evolve in terms of picking the direction that you want to take your work next. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, actually, I kind of learned that through 
sort of a negative uh, circumstance in a sense. But uh, for a, a time, I had been working extensively uh, doing my artwork. I was in the studio a lot. I had a few shows and uh, I wasn't burned out. But for a little bit of time, I took a break and did another some other lines of work just to kind of get rejuvenated. And uh, I had just gotten married and it was just there was a lot going on. So I kind of departed from art just for a little while. I, I maintained my skills. I did portraits and whatnot. But the freelance artwork, I kind of left to the side for a little while. And what ended up happening is I kind of had a vision that, uh, that I was developing in my own work. And when I kind of departed to, to do my, these other lines of work, I kind of forgot where I was at. So that was kind of a negative circumstance. So sometimes things change just based off of you're not familiar with what you were doing before. It's fairly, uh, it's a fairly abstract thing. I mean, when I'm when I'm painting, you know, something uh, like subject matter that used to be really intriguing, I almost don't see why I wanted to paint it now. And uh, huh. I still love the old paintings, but I'm not drawn to painting the subject matter. So it's kind of strange if you if you stop for a certain period of time. Sometimes you lose that momentum, and I've I've kind of learned that I I need to you, you kind of need to stay in it constantly, at least to some degree. Well, I think some of that makes sense too, because people in general in creating something is, it's just such a personal process, you know, no matter what degree of professionalism you you have about creating something, there's, there's something that of yourself that you're pouring into it. So I'd imagine that, you know, if you take any sort of break, or even just as time goes on in general, just different life events happen, and we get older, and we have different things that are important to us and we see the world in different ways. And so it's almost natural that the subject matter that you pursue or the style that you pursue will change as you change. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Something else I know that you have some interest in, um, at least you, you did before. Are you still interested in planes and aviation? Is that still something that you're connected with? Yeah, I am actually. Um, I always loved airplanes and we used to go to antique airplanes. Uh, there's like an airport that's close by that has a lot of bi- old biplanes and whatnot. And yeah, while I was doing my artwork, I kind of just started taking some flying lessons. And and about ten years later, now it's uh, I I always tell people that I do a little bit of a disservice to myself in that uh, all my hobbies I turn into occupations. <laughs> <laughs> I currently work for a company and we do charters, so I actually fly a jet for a jet and turboprop for a company. It's been great. It kind of gets me out of the studio, so, uh, and it definitely gives me plenty of content to paint. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been fun. Yeah, I was going to ask, is this another avenue of inspiration that's separate from the art, or is it almost a way to take a break from everything that, that goes on in your, your painting? Maybe it's like a kind of, it's like almost like a separate personality <laughs> in a sense. Sure, yeah. Uh, although uh, I used to, in the very start of college, I would even have, I actually had checklists for my paintings if things weren't going well, or if they were going well, I just kind of need needed to push to the next step. I had checklists that I wrote. So I've kind of been a checklist person anyways. So I kind of fit into aviation that way. And then as I do it now, you know, when you're painting, you're, you're by yourself all day and you're kind of essentially staring at a wall while you're working. Uh, at least I am with my easel. Um, and so you go from, you know, staring at a wall to being at like, you know, 35,000 feet with uh, hundreds of miles of visibility. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, but, um, yeah, changing it up a little bit. 
Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, it is almost like, uh, I don't know. I, I think for the artists, it's in some ways, there's no like true escape completely out of it because it feels like every moment I'm like awake, I'm like, like something is related to my writing project. And it's tough to take a breath and yeah. take a step back to kind of renew that energy. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it's like, well, creation is such a part of who the artist is that it's it's difficult to separate it out. I think what uh, kind of comes down to and, and kind of going to my third interest that I, I tend to do, which is woodworking. I'm very much a hands-on person. So hand-eye coordination is like really the thing I love to kind of develop. And so all three of those pursuits are very much in that avenue. So I think they just exercise different portions of that. Um, So for me, that portion kind of travels freely between them all. And then in terms of the tactile differences, you know, moving paint or, or, uh, you know, sanding wood or, or flying, moving flight controls, it's kind of just... They're their own art forms in a sense. I like to, to kind of have things constantly busy and changing, you know, so it's it kind of works for me. Having something that your mind is processing or... Yeah, yeah. Can you describe a little bit more about, are, like, are you making tables? Or are you making sculptures? Sometimes furniture. A lot of times it's just working on the house, like, uh, you know, doing paneling or uh, I used to work okay, for... Okay, cool. Yeah, I used to... I worked for a company for many years that they did everything from framing the house to uh, all the cabinets. I mean, all the millwork. It, it was a very unusual company to work for because nowadays everything's purchased as a, as a unit. So you can buy your kitchen cabinets from here. You know, you have a framing crew that's separate. But we actually kind of saw a whole project through, which was really unique. That was fun, developing skills in that realm and then applying it to like my own house or, you know, friends' houses, whatever. Was that job the origin of your interest in that, or had it come before? Uh, it, came, it came before. Uh, like, there's a lot of c- construction that uh, that went on in my family. I mean, there's uh, my grandfather was iron. There, he was an iron worker, and a lot of my f- relatives were as well. And then my dad had some a lot of interest in woodworking, and that's kind of really our family trait. Um, and then, uh, so it kind of gets naturally passed down, just as a general interest. So going back to your to your artwork a little bit, so you paint portraits. I've seen you do also portraits of animals, landscapes, still life. There's a pretty broad spectrum there. How do you go about, is that like mood based on what you pursue next in terms of a subject? How do you resolve like what to work on? For the portraits, it's rather straightforward. I'm usually approached as to, you know, someone wants either a friend or themselves painted and, and then pretty much the project with those are to really to understand the person, get a sense of like, you know, who they were and, or, you know, what they do and really start to develop a personality behind the painting. So that's a little bit more straightforward. Um, and with that, people want their portraits to to look like them and the best form of them. So I would say it's probably one of the hardest portions of the art firm in terms of uh, not too many people paint portraits very well it's very rigorous and i it is one of the things that i have to spend a lot of time keeping my skills sharp there because it's just so exacting the flip side of that is you know, the, the parameters are a little bit simpler and you know the sky's not the limit then someone's not going to necessarily commission me to do a picasso style where they're you know different sure, <laughs> their, yeah. their noses on their forehead and whatnot but um so people know me for a certain kind of look in portraiture, 
And so that's that's rather straightforward. I love doing them, and it's a great way to to meet people and learn about their lives. It's just a fun process to be a part of. So that's the portrait side. I guess the what I call it the freelance side and more of my own vision. That's a little bit harder to come by. I used to do a lot of still lives, and I would be setting up still lives. I would look at old master paintings, position, you know, fruits, vases, whatever, very traditionally. And after doing so many paintings like that, I kind of was gravitating towards something that's a little bit more natural in its composition. Something that's like if you walk into a room and just how the objects are naturally placed, I've become more interested in that. So the difficult part is it's a lot harder to create interesting uh, compositions. You really have to be vetting a lot more visuals. So now I, I kind of wait until I find something that I really that really stands out to me, and then that's when I uh, I really go at it painting. So, what are you looking for when something stands out? Is that a consistent thing, or is it almost inconsistent because that's why it stands out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I actually I would think both. Um, Andrew Wyeth talked about there being a, like the abstract flash, and pretty much. You know, something catches you from the corner of your eye that that draws your attention. And uh, I don't know if it's developed in the artist's eye, just from the artist working. I can't really explain that portion. But all I know is that when I'm working and I just, I'm driving down the road. Actually, I was driving down the road this morning and there was this beautiful cornfield. And there was this woman sitting on the porch and this bouquet of flowers. And it was just, it caught my eye and I wish I had some way to document it. Because it was, it was such like a neat, timeless scene. It was just something about it was just very peaceful. And so you kind of have to wait for moments like that. Now, the best way of doing that is to be out, out and about experiencing the world. So that's yeah. kind of, I kind of tend to wait for those moments. So then are you taking a reference photo of, of something or are, are you needing to yeah. set up your easel on location? <laughs> you know, I'm looking at some of the images on your website and it's like, oh, well, this is probably not in your house you know right how are you taking your artwork to that or are you taking the yeah the scene with you uh photography has been probably one of the most helpful tools particularly since i am painting more representationally it is so difficult to you know capture exact moments of light with you know certain shapes and shadows and um or even if i'm painting anything that's to do with wildlife it's kind of a resource that I feel like people frown upon, but it's kind of silly not to use at the same time. It's just so exacting when you need to be. However, I really tend not to rely heavily on photographs. So if I'm painting a, a landscape or whatever, I try and do sketches from my head of what I mm -hmm. kind of first saw, try and remember as many components as I could to kind of give it that feeling. Then I kind of cross check it with a photograph, which photographs tend, at least my photographs tend to be <laughs> rather, rather flat and not as interesting. So I have to kind of keep that, that raw mental image I had, even though I have a photo reference, it's kind of a blended process, I would say. And sometimes I use photographs a little bit more than I should. Sometimes I, I don't use them at all. It just depends. You're making kind of this blended, it's, it's photo real, but it's also an interpretation mm -hmm. of what's there. And so we talked about how you run into something that you want to paint, that you want to capture. When you go about capturing it, 
what are you looking to capture? What are, what are you looking to mm. almost like alter about what's in front of you to bring out something that you're seeing in it? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. It's kind of a yeah. tough concept to, to explain. Yeah, and I, I'm afraid that my answer might be even more, more yeah. vague. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fully know. Uh, uh, it's kind of like music in the sense where there's certain notes that are kind of universal, universally pleasing to people. I'm mean, not everyone's going to like every song, but there's such a repeated format for chords that work well together. And so sometimes that's it. If there's a scene that's the contrast is very interesting or the focal point's very strong, I'll naturally be drawn to that. But sometimes it's a lot more subtle. Uh, sometimes it, it's mainly because of the subject matter that I find interesting or Perhaps it reminds me of another painting that I saw that you know I felt was fairly successful, and it just it just kind of resonates with me. Like the scene I saw this morning with the the woman with the cornfield, it was just kind of interesting because it it kind of looked like a Wyeth painting, but it was in a complete different avenue. And and sometimes as artists, as much as they like to think that they're the inventive, they they really are just kind of reorganizing what's already been done in a sense. So. I was drawn to that scene. I was like, oh, that would be kind of neat to do a Wyeth painting, but in a, in a more of a lively uh, color scheme. I don't know. That was just, this is an example I just thought of this morning. But uh, it, it is kind of interesting. There's so many different directions to go into, and there's so many different reasons why a painting uh, is created. So do you ever have a moment where you have something in mind and you're painting it and then something almost like shouts out to you like pay attention to this aspect that you weren't seeing like like, like, do you ever are you ever in the work and then all of a sudden you see something new even though you've been looking at it for hours oh absolutely yeah um the start of my paintings tend to be fairly animated uh i'll use a like fairly big brushes and and kind of paint very aggressively i i know what i kind of want the paint to look like so i'm just trying to get paint on the canvas, kind of really get the process going. And then in a, in a weird way, I kind of just like burn out from that initial energy, put the painting aside. I usually let it dry. I usually actually just turn the, the canvas towards the wall. So I'm not staring at it all the time, you know, in a day or two. And that's usually per- works perfectly with a, like if I have a flying trip for a day, it gets me out of the studio, kind of clear my brain of what I was doing. Then the next day I'll go back in and take a look at the painting and then have another whole direction to take it. And uh, it's never really what's expected. Uh, whatever that initial, the initial push is always, it always changes in the next round of painting and the third and fourth and whatever rounds. So, Well, that's really fascinating because so another connection here to writing, and this is something that I've experienced and that is that is almost like recommended. I know um, like Stephen King is a big advocate of that method where it's you're almost describing what I see is, oh, it's a first draft. You get the first draft out, you put all this energy in it, you just get that first draft done and then you separate yourself from it. You let it sit to the side, both to kind of let yourself understand what's working and not working about it and have a new eye when you come to it, but also uh-huh. so that you can, uh, it opens you up to changing the direction. Right. And so it's right. so interesting that you have like almost like this first draft process where uh-huh. it's, it's your, you're getting down on the canvas, just the beginning. And you know that I'll revisit this with fresh eyes uh, after I take a little bit of a break. Yeah. That, that's, it's actually the, 
probably the closest analogy I've heard yet to the process that sometimes it's a little bit of a of a tricky thing too because sometimes procrastination can kind of creep in as well like if uh, you have a really exciting start to a painting and you're you're really moving along well and then you kind of reach this point where it might be some of the more tedious portions of a painting where yeah you don't really know what to do and or you know you have to you have to detail a certain area it's kind of tempted to kind of leave the painting just facing the wall for another week or two but yeah, I understand that too because yeah, you don't want the uh you don't want the the recommended process to also be the excuse. Like you it's almost that's why maybe like setting the time limit or even okay, I'm going to work on something else. I'm going to do another first draft yeah. and then put that first draft aside and come back to it. So it's yeah, you don't want it to be an excuse for getting out of your routine and and falling behind on your work. Yeah. That's so interesting because when I was thinking about doing a podcast, you know, I had this idea for, you know, the title of the, the show is Cause of Craft. And I was thinking about the reasons behind why I write and the process that I use and thinking about talking about those two things together. And one thing that came to mind was, what if this isn't just like a writer thing? I have people that I know who are in different arts. And I was curious I, about, well, what are the similarities and differences between those processes and between how people create and why they create? And I've been so happy that I decided, you know, to expand the question beyond just writers because I felt like I've learned a lot through the techniques and process of other people's crafts and finding that they might look at something completely differently, but some of the root behind why is the same. And so there's almost like something to learn there. I absolutely agree. And uh, I, I had a student, that I, they studied painting with me for, I don't know, about two years or maybe three. Uh, I remember the, the first question was basically like the last time they had drawn was with, with basically with crayons and like kindergarten. And uh, the, this individual collected a lot of my work and was always interested in art. They had a, a mother that was an artist and uh, they just had an interest in like, oh, well, maybe it's something that I could try my hand at. And they were a fairly accomplished pianist. They are a very, fairly accomplished pianist. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, I didn't really know how to describe a lot of the terminology. Um, so I kind of, when I was instructing this particular person, I tried my best at just describing everything in the media that they knew, which was music. So explaining things like composition and you know warm and cool colors, it sounds fairly straightforward, but it's unbelievably complex. So I kind of related those things to the keys and music and it was interesting they naturally were very gifted you could tell in in a visual sense of, but this individual picked up things so quickly because they're relating it to their other art form that they already knew about and the progress is remarkable if you already have some of that knowledge so truthfully i, I think any of the arts are very interchangeable uh, whether they're visual or auditory or yeah, written or it almost feels like you know how people talk about learning different languages and it's like once you learn i forget the number it's like once you learn like four languages like you just can learn the rest of them super easily <laughs> that's interesting because yeah it's like art it's kind of have its, has its own language to it and mm -hmm. again it's like you know when when people are talking a language that they know you don't even think about like formulating the words the words just come out and they're the thoughts and you know maybe you get into a complex discussion and then you're trying to grasp for certain words but if you're just having a normal conversation it's it's your language um right. 
So you have an exhibition coming up. Can you talk a little bit about that and how people can see your work in person? Absolutely. Yeah, I have, there's going to be a show at the Silverman Gallery, which is uh, in Buckingham in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'll probably have about between 20 and 25 paintings there, most of which have been done within the past few years. And uh, it's a fairly varied um, collection of paintings. I have a lot more landscapes than I've had at probably any other show. And everything's very themed out. I've had a very busy year with, uh, I got trained in a new jet and I've been, like I said, I was working in my house. It's been a, quite a whirlwind year. And so I think the, the work really re- reflects my desire to have a, a very quiet environment. And the paintings are, <laughs> are very quiet, but they're, I, I really have enjoyed working on them. It's, uh, but they kind of, they do, I'm kind of looking at them now, actually, as we, we speak. They tie together in a very unusual way. I have some moon moonlit scenes, and I also have some rather colorful flower paintings, but they kind of speak to each other, and there's a transition b- between them all and design and and uh, color. So it would be interesting to see them all on a wall. Right now, they're just scattered about my room, but to see them in a very formal setting actually would be exciting for myself. Do you find that connection surprising to you, or does it make sense with, again, what we were talking about before with, you said they were all done relatively recently, so you're at, mm-hmm. again, a time in your life where you're seeing things probably in a similar way in, in a certain time span. Yeah, uh, I would say that's definitely true. Uh, kind of like what I was describing earlier, when I'm working on paintings, I'll turn around all the ones in my room so I'm not looking at them. So I kind of hope that shows are very cohesive, but I don't I don't ever aim for that because I feel like that impedes on the quality of each piece. So I actually, when I'm working, everything's kind of away. I'm just focusing on what's on my easel. And then, you know, as I'm kind of now starting to put finishing touches on paintings, varnishing them, framing them, it's kind of nice to see that they're, <laughs> they do speak to each other. I always hope for that. But like I said, I don't really aim for that necessarily. Yeah, it's interesting. And then the way you describe it too, speaking to each other, like giving giving them sort of their own sense of agency, like it's it's um you are the the painter, but it's almost like again, like the I think people use the term creation and uh-huh. in a way that makes sense because you're almost creating this new thing that exists and it's almost alive in its own right. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely. I, I do see it that way. Well, good. Well, so we talked about the gallery where people can uh, see your work in person. Do you want to let people know your website or, or other ways they can see your work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a few ways of getting to my website, but it's simply my name, uh, eharringtonstudio.com. I think evanharringtonstudio.com works as well, I think. If it doesn't, I apologize. <laughs> I'll check it beforehand and make sure this link. So, yeah. so well, good. Well, Evan, thank you so much for your time. I know with all your your interests here with art, aviation, and the housework and all of this, that you lead a busy life. So I, I'm really appreciative of your time. Thank you so much for coming on Cause of Craft. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I actually look forward to hearing some of your other podcasts. It'll be fun. I'll listen to it while I paint. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can see Evan's artwork online at eharringtonstudio.com and in person at the Silverman Gallery in Holocon, Pennsylvania from October 30th to November 28th. He'll be on hand on both Saturday, October 30th and Sunday, November 7th. Check the show notes for times and more details. 
Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode, and follow Cause of Craft on Instagram for the latest news and updates, including visual companions for every episode. If you enjoy the show, please consider sharing with a friend and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's j-o-n at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.